Hello, and welcome to Shattered Lines, an informed, conversational, cutting-edge radio show in touch with today's issues that impact the lives of crime victims, addressing the aftermath of crime, forging a path for hope, building awareness, and empowering listeners for the future. This is Donna Argor, a.k.a. Lady Justice, your host, with my co-host Delilah Jones, president of ImaginePublicity.com, welcoming you to today's show and to our library of weekly archive shows. It is our goal to make a difference. And uh, so welcome, everyone. Welcome to um, an April 2018 podcast as we are broadcasting live and also um, on the archive simultaneously. And I have to say that um, we are um, taking a little path off the the crime victim path, uh, although we are forging a path for hope, building awareness and empowering listeners today um, on a slightly different topic and one that is very near and dear to my heart because I am a member of our LGBTQ family. Um, and uh, so we're going to have a very special guest that we had over six years ago when I first started my my radio um career uh we're having robin McKaylin, executive director of true colors incorporated of the uh of of the connecticut of the greater harford area but before we delve in and we bring on robin i want to uh, welcome uh delilah to another show good morning delilah good morning um and this is I, I was just saying off air to Robin that it's always great to have um, a former guest come back and update us about the issue they're speaking about or their organization. And I, I just want to bring everyone's attention to the fact that we're broadcasting on the Inside Lens Network. And not only does um, does this network contain all of the shows from Shattered Lives like we're doing today? But there's also many, 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 over 650 episodes on CrimeWire. Um, then we've done author interviews. I do Imagine Publicity on Air, where I do author interviews and just issue-oriented interviews, I guess you would say. I, I don't have a specific topic um, or a specific issue. So all of those shows are here, and we hope that you'll tune in not only regular to Shattered Lives, but also take advantage of all of the information that we've given out over the years and all of the entertainment, education, empowerment, you name it, it's there. So we shall carry on. Yes, and does that include the Transparency Project? Yes, that's our new project coming up. The Transparency Project will um, it will be on Tuesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, and it's hosted by Denny Griffin, who whose idea is to highlight cases where where family surviving family members have not been able to get records from you know whether it's a cold case an active case whatever type of of case it is they've been having a lot of problems with the freedom freedom of information act uh responses so 
he's Myself trying to put included. together something. <laughs> exactly. He's put something together to, to a community, a group, whatever you want to call it. It's not really an organization of any by any means, but a lot of experts and a lot of family members and everything have come together kind of relating their their stories, what successes they've had and where we need to go, whether it's legislation in an area or or how we can how we can reach out and help some of these families get what they need. Well, absolutely. And I think, you know, um that it's a huge problem and I'm glad that he's forged starting to forge the path for that because it's very much needed. And so Speaking of forging paths, and people, if they would like to, they can go to the very beginning of Shattered Lives Archives, and you will find another show with Robin McKaylin. And we did have one of her colleagues on, too, um, way back when, and that was the next one show. So today we are going to do a bit of an update, of, but for people who are not familiar with, with True Colors, and um, I, I just have to say that I've known Robin, I think, since the eight the eighties um and was um pretty much um i also helped volunteer and was attending her conferences and helped peace lag way back when and um it's always been an organization that's been very close to my heart but you know you get busy with other things and you have multiple issues multiple passions in life and sometimes you know you, you take a different path but it is always there, near and dear to my heart, and I try to monitor and keep up. And I have promised her that if she needs me as a tool in whatever way, we will continue and we won't wait for six years to go by. You know, um, we did do some connections with regard to some crime victims that were transgender in the past, and um, I'll have to give her an update on that at a different time. But. So, Robin, uh, thank you so much for joining us again, and welcome to to Shattered Lives and Inside Radio Network. And uh, it's a pleasure to have you on. And this is so important because it's just not about, you know, anyone who happens to be in the family of sexual minority. There's so many families. um, There's fostering. There's allies. There's there's, um, companies that, that have an investment in helping. Um, so I would like this to be a show for, you know, everyone. And so I think we we need to appeal to as many people as possible, particularly in our in our social and our political climate. We're not doing very well as a state in Connecticut, so we need to partner um, with as many different forces as possible. So if you could possibly um, give us give us a, a, a bit of an overview. Uh, of um, true colors, and then we'll take it from there in terms of different aspects and maybe what the programs have to offer. And and I want to tip my hat and say 25 years for your conference because we need to talk about that. That's a huge milestone. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. Thank you so much. So let me. I always start like this. Um, 
So what True Colors does, for people who don't know who we are, what True Colors does is education and advocacy for gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, intersex, queer, questioning, two-spirit, same-gender-loving, pansexual, flexual, not straight, not labeling, straight-ish, straight so far, straight with options, straight but stuff happens, gender-bending, gender-bending, bi-gendered, pan-gendered, agendered, asexual, non-binary, and other sexual and gender minority youth. I sort of start always with the litany of the language because that's one of the things that's changing the most quickly, that how young people are describing themselves and their experiences really is very different than than many of us grew up with. Um, So within that confines of education and advocacy, we've got um, seven programs. We have five staff and seven programs, but dozens and dozens of, of volunteers. So we've got the annual conference, which actually started as a fieldwork project 25 years ago and was supposed to be a one-time event. But the youth who helped organize it and I were really just so transformed by the experience that we decided to keep going. And that first conference in 1994 had a little bit over, it had 190 adults um, and, or 250 adults and 90 youth. So a little bit over 350-some-odd people. The conference Mm -hmm. this couple of weeks ago had um, 3,800 people. So it's definitely (laughs) grown a fair bit since those days. Um, And it was interesting. When we first started, most of the people who came were, you know, at the high end of high school, you know, juniors, seniors, and, and high school students. This year we had nine middle schools use it as an authorized field trip and 128 high schools and 18 different colleges, um, in addition to all the teachers and social workers and adults who come. So, so the, the conference has always been sort of our, our signature event. But over the course of the years, what we've been doing is really identifying and then trying to fill different gaps in services. So, um, you know, right after the conference in the early 90s, mid-90s, we started doing Gay Straight Alliance summits that um, at the time there was only four Gay Straight Alliances in Connecticut, and now there's over 200 sexual and gender, sex, gender and sexuality alliances so that the name has changed to really reflect um, the diversity of kids' identities. Um, and so we're still doing that. We've got a, a youth leadership program that involves um, our youth leadership people going into schools. There's a, a, a high school intern program that's a paid program to develop the, the leadership schools of, of students. Um, we have Queer Academy in the summer. That's part of that. And, um, and so that's a very active program. Um, in 2005, we uh, launched the first um, LGBT mentoring program. And so that program works with LGBT youth in out-of-home care. So these are kids that have been thrown away by their families of origin on the basis of their identity. Um, And then we find um, LGBT and ally mentors to work with them and to help them grow into healthy and happy and successful uh, young adults. And, um, And that program, you know, you think about it, sometimes these days kids come out And everybody's fine, you know, like their family's fine, the school's fine, their friends are fine. Sometimes a kid comes out and their whole world implodes. You know, we wouldn't have 60 kids in the mentoring program if that wasn't true. Um, 
We have a project called the Safe Harbor Project, which looks at really policy and programming within state systems. So that is explicitly with the Department of Children and Families, but we also work with Court Support Services Division, which is the juvenile justice arm. Um, and in fact, they were just accepted into a program to um, begin tracking the sexual orientation, gender identity, and expression of their um, of the youth that are involved in their programs, and we're going to be supporting that effort with them in the coming uh, next two years, which I think is really exciting. That, that's uh, great to be housed mm-hmm. in, you know, incarcerated, and, and you're you're there, and you're you're not in a in a safe environment. So that's exactly. that's very innovative. And is that something that's unique to Connecticut, or are we you no. know kind of on the forefront? I think it's on the forefront, but I don't think it's unique to Connecticut. In some ways, in juvenile justice arenas, we're a little behind the curve. You know, like um, uh, New York State, well, actually New York City, has Mm -hmm. very explicit policies for their transgender um, youth who are incarcerated or in detention. And we don't have that. The policies have been written. They've been, you know, sort of sitting in the – you know, in the powers that be for months and, and haven't been um, released yet. So I think in some ways we're above the curve, you know, in some areas, but in other areas we're, we're still a little behind the, the eight ball. And I think juvenile justice and criminal justice is one of the places where we're not where we need to be. That in the adult system, um, in the youth system, if a child is transgender, they will at least consider their gender identity when they look at placement, um, you know, whether you should go into female detention or male detention. Um, and the adult system, that isn't even a question. If you have male genitalia, doesn't matter where you are in your transition, um, you're going to be placed in a male facility. If you have female genitalia, doesn't matter how long you've been on testosterone, what all your documentation says, none of that matters. You will be placed in a female facility. And, uh, wow. and so those are what really... What does it take to to implement that change? I mean... Um, I mean, I saw a couple in the, in the news in terms of what it, what it did take in, in, in individual cases. Is it very long and protracted, or can you can you I, make that transition quickly? It it really depends. Sometimes on an individual case basis, it can be done relatively easily. And if there's you know if someone has had gender alignment surgery, so bottom surgery, then they're placed based on their gender. But the the reality is that the vast majority of people don't have bottom surgery for a number of different reasons. They might not want it. You know, it might not be appropriate for them. They might not be able to afford it. You know, so mm-hmm. resources play a role. And um, and that. What the, the state always brings up is safety issues, but, but they consider that the national research shows that transgender women, that 85% of transgender women are sexually assaulted multiple times while incarcerated. So wow. whose safety are they protecting? Right? Yeah, um, really. And, you know, so um, I think that this is really, it's a lawsuit waiting to happen. You know, in Connecticut, many of the domestic and intimate partner violence laws mm-hmm. came about because they, after Tracy Thurman, they discovered how much liability existed for them in terms of their bad laws not protecting people. 
Um, yeah. And so many of the laws emerged out of that, um, you know, sort of pocketbook interest that we don't want people to sue us. Um, and, and I think that, that maybe that's what's going to happen on the, the transgender arena. Then. But, but sadly, it means that something horrific has to happen in order for that to move forward, you know. Being reactive versus proactive. And we, exactly, right? exactly. We have that thing exactly. on so many shows. It's like if only we, you know, we prepare instead of react. And, I, and especially when we talk about government entities, that's, that's right. what they do. You know, that's, exactly. so is it a matter of funding for, the, um, for us um, again to I get these proposals I, I think going? Yes, ish. You know, funding because <laughs> they'd have to consider. It really would be more of a training issue than anything. Mm-hmm. That um, you know, one of the things I do a lot of police officer training, and one of the things that comes up over and over and over again is that you know, if you are doing a pat down or a strip search or a urine on a transgender person, who does that, <laughs> right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, the, the policies are that female officers do that with female inmates. But, um, but if you don't accept that a trans woman is, is a woman, then you, you, know, you run into all these kinds of issues about who's going to do what. You know, right. and the, the biggest problem, I think, is that people continue to conflate sex and gender. You know, transgender women are women. Transgender men are men, right? And that it doesn't mm-hmm. matter what you have in your pants, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, that that's not your identity. Um, and that there's some people who are neither men nor women, you know, who are non-binary. So how, what are we going to do in terms of, you know, um, providing services to non-binary people? Um, and in child welfare, that can be really an issue because still many of the services are sex segregated, you know, so the, the, um, you know, residential treatment in, in many cases, um, group homes, um, those are all sex segregated. And if you have a non-binary kid who's neither male nor female or a transgender kid, you know, where do you put them and who's their roommate, you know, becomes a huge, um, a huge question for people. And right. so, and so how do we change not only the thinking of that, but we, you know, do we need to have, you know, a separate facility for, I mean, how, how, how do we make people think about it? How do we make them be more comfortable and how do we prepare for all of these permutations? Right. That's a, that's a, um, I think that's a very broad question, and I think yeah. the place that it starts is we need to do a lot more work in elementary-level education of children and, mm-hmm. and a lot more work as a society to begin to break down the stereotypes and the, um, the, the rigid roles that we have that we believe about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman, that I think that we need to look at gender in a very broad perspective because the truth is that the, the, some of the rules around gender, they don't just impact transgender people. They constrain every human. You know, that, that if, you, if there's a rule that boys can't like pink, right, then a boy who likes pink 
you know, is, mm-hmm. is, is discriminated against or harassed simply because he has a preference for a particular color, you know, mm-hmm. and like there's nothing in the universe that's, in fact, originally pink was a blue a boy's color, you know, in the, in the, the 20s and 30s. So, you know, all of this stuff about gender is mostly made up in language. And then we just pretend that it's a biological reality. So if we could, as a society, begin to challenge those norms and let boys be whatever kind of boys they want to be and girls be whatever kind of girls they want to be, and if people are neither of those, to just go like, cool, do you, right? That we uh-huh. would be, things would be different all along. Now, the way that that happens is it, it literally takes generations. But if you think about... LGB people, that when I, 25 years ago, when I first started doing training, I would ask people, how many people in here know somebody personally in your friendship or family network who identifies as lesbian, gay, or bisexual? And literally, there would be two people in the back of the room tentatively raising their hand and looking around sheepishly. Now, I say, how many people in the room know somebody personally who's gay, lesbian, or bisexual? And every hand in the room goes up. That face-to-face interactions over a period of time is what breaks down stereotypes and, um, and biases about people. When I ask how many people know somebody personally who's transgender, most of the time it's less than a quarter of the room. And so as more as transgender, as there gets more and more trans awareness, more and more people will get to know personally people who are transgender, and that breaks down the, 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 the weird othering the that we do yeah. of people so and you, the barriers. You think as a society we're getting better at um, in, uh, understanding and embracing differences little by little? Um, I think-ish. I think one mm-hmm. of the things that happened with this past election is that the polarization um, of values in in America got played out at the federal level, and that, for example, for the first time, Pew um, studies show that for the first time in eight years, the number of people who support um, LGB people is under fifty percent, and what they think is not necessarily that there's been a dip but that people now feel freer to say, um, you know, biased things and to mm-hmm. have um, those opinions. And so people who may have been uncomfortable before were, were now they're coming willing out to say that out loud. Right. They feel, they feel right. that, well, but they feel empowered now. Right. Right. They feel empowered now. And mm-hmm. that's true not just around sexual and gender minority stuff, that's true around racial issues, um, around racism, around Everything. people who are undocumented, um, you know, that, that around Muslim um, folks, all of those, those groups who've been very stigmatized, um, people now feel there's a percentage of the, the, um, the, the population who feels free to express those horrific ideas, but there was also a, um, a um, editorial in the paper this morning where they looked at millions of Americans on the left have been um, um, activated by this election, mm-hmm. and that 
um, one out of five um, people are now politically active. Um, that's, that in itself gives me great hope, you know, that, that maybe as we, you know, get more of our population who don't have those extreme views, you know, off their couches and into the streets, um, that, that there'll be more possibilities to break down um, some of the barriers around race, some barriers around um, gender, orientation, um, and so on. Um, but at the same time, the, you know, the, the um, you know, financial disparities continues to grow, you know, so there's, you know, the advantage of the current administration is that it's mobilized progressives. The disadvantage is that they're doing terrible things that's going to take us generations to recover from. Mm-hmm. So, so there's, to empowerment, there's a, an upside and a downside, and it's really exactly. good to see Millennials getting involved in all kinds of things, you know, you know, as an example, Florida, you know, the 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 mass shootings in Florida and and all right. of that that gives me hope too. But like I say, there's always a there, there's always a good and then a, a downside to every mm-hmm. quote unquote movement. You know, well, don't but, you exactly. also think that you know we as a society we we kind of have a society of stigma, whether it be you know yeah. against gender issues or mental health issues issues or disability issues, Um, those of us who are so-called normal, whatever that might be, um, we're so quick to go to judgment and and not um, open our minds to what could be, you know, what abilities that all of these people have, whether, you know, whether it is a gender issue Mm -hmm. or mental health or disability, there are abilities that each human being is gifted with. And I I think, you know, we, I, I work, I work with a, um, a nonprofit that is, um, they work with adults with dis- disabilities and this is the same, you know, the same conversation, the same thing that we post about in social media is inclusion. And I think, right. you know, there's, there's so many overlaps in all of these issues and it all comes down to individuals in our society who need to open their hearts and open their minds to the abilities of every human being. Right. I I think you're you're so right on with that. And if people would just be be open to the experience and how how much people have to offer and not just judge by label. I used to tell people, you know, I'm I'm like so many different minorities you couldn't tell. It's like I'm done as a person for all seasons. What what's what's today? Which one am I going to show? And um but it, but it, it makes you a, a better person for having all of those experiences and being, being open, being associated with all of these other people, to just be, you know, sort of a mundane white bread kind of thing. It would be such a, 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 a lack, um, a lack of experience in your life. So, it, it's hard as it, as it is sometimes to be a member of so many different minorities. I have come right. to embrace it because it has enriched my life so much, you know. And I've I've had to fight, but you 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 get opened up to so many possibilities and opportunities and things that are positive, and that's what 
that's what we want to promote, you know. And Robin I was wondering, um, with regard, I know you you're, you do trainings across the country. Mm-hmm. What do yeah. you what do you see um, that may be different? That may be um, it may be a cause for hope. When you get out of the realm of our state. What mm-hmm. what are you seeing across the country when you do trainings, um, and and how how is that being received? Um, you know, I think that there's that there's a lot of movement forward um, that you know many of the and it's interesting. It depends on the part of the country, really. Um, I've been doing a lot of training. I, I did a lot of training in Kentucky, and. And it's in you, when Kentucky as a state doesn't have doesn't protect people on the basis of, of identity from you know being fired you know so Kentucky is one of like 28 states where you could get married on on Saturday and then fired on Monday um, and so wow. uh, you know that 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 um, so politically it's not very progressive but different parts of the state and I've been working mostly with um, the Louisville school district and that they are very progressive and so they have put um, LGBT non-discrimination into their policies and then worked really hard to, to try to operationalize that so that it wasn't just words it was um, you know actual um, um, processes and policies and and um, and programming. So, um, you know, I think that's very um, that's very encouraging. Um, but there's also at the political level different states that are trying to find ways to undo same-sex marriage equality. There's states that are doing all kinds of horrific things around transgender bathroom bills. Um, the feds rescinded every supportive policy for trans folks um, since this new administration came in, both at the school uh-huh. level and at the employment level. Um, so, and then obviously in the military. Um, so, you know, um, I think that that when we do trainings, that lots of people. There's that my experience is that that there's a lot of people in the room that are supportive there's a number of people in the room that are not and that as a as an activist as somebody who does advocacy for a living i tend to focus my efforts on the movable middle that you know there's people that are on the far right that there doesn't matter i they're never going to change my mind and i am never going to change their mind right and so i don't waste my efforts trying to engage them in conversation because there's nothing that's there's not going to be any forward movement but there's people in sort of the middle that you might think of as as um, somebody once called them sort of situational bigots right that they're not really (laughs) actively bigoted it's just that they just never thought about it right and so Mm -hmm. um with with some prompting and some growing of their you know, the lenses that they're wearing, then, you know, they start to think, oh, wait a minute, you know, um, let me let me think about this. And sometimes the radical right does us a favor when they are so over the top crazy in the things that they say, a number of the middle movable middle moves farther to the left because they don't want to be associated with that um, perspective. 
That's you know, I remember, interesting. So, yeah, I remember so when years you go, ago. You, yeah. And target, target audience, I mean, you, you have an audience and you know you're going to have a certain percentage on each extreme and in the middle and you, you target your presentation or what you try to do to try to kind of move some of those people in the middle because you know at the extremes right. it's not going to happen, right? Exactly. And that, that you know, you can't have a conversation at the extremes, really pretty much on either side of the extremes, whether you're on the extreme left or the extreme right, you can't, you know, you can't have a conversation that results in, you know, positive change. Now, we do, I do a lot of work with the, the schools that I, you know, when I, with classes that I teach, I teach human sexuality and some other things, to do these activities that allow people to have, to express very different views and allow both to live safely in the same space. You know, that, that our, our current administration doesn't, doesn't model civil discourse very well. Um, and so I feel like even if you have extreme views, let's figure out if there's a way that I can let you have that view in the same space that I have this view. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not always possible, you know, but, but it, it, it creates, again, and, and the people that get most impacted by that are the movable middle, right? Mm-hmm. That when you do those activities, um, the people who are, you know, who believe strongly but are not, you know, obsessive about it, you know, that they will often move a little bit closer, um, you know, but the people on the far ends are just not going to go there. I remember yeah. I remember one time um, a guy at a training um, came up to me afterwards and he said, you know, well, you said you believe in God, but, you know, God says you're an abomination, you know, and, um, and how do you respond to that? And um, and so the first thing that came to mind wasn't anything I could actually say out loud. So, <laughs> so I was like, uh, well, you know, and, and so I, I was saying things like, you know, obviously we have very different views. I'm not going to be able to, you know, you're not going to be able to change it. And, we, and I was trying to just allow him to have his perspective, you know, without buying into it. And he just kept going and going and going. And, and finally I said to him, well, listen, darling, if you're right, when I die, I'm going to hell. If I'm right, when you die, St. Peter's going to be standing there in full drag. And, uh, <laughs> and, and he, said, he said, how dare you mock the Lord? And I said, no, oh, baby, God. I'm not mocking the Lord. I'm mocking you. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? And, then, um, and then somebody actually... Um, a woman came over and put herself between the two of us, and every time he tried to get around her, she just kept moving, so he couldn't get to me anymore. And then they helped me leave before he actually hit me. But, oh um, my God! It got to know, that so, point, huh? Yeah, it got. It almost got violent. Yeah. And um, oh, Robin, so, that's that's scary. That's scary. Well, well, in terms of getting more people to join. Uh, the organization and having allies, do you think a certain percentage are like, oh, okay, families that thought they were Ozzy and Harriet, and then some somebody, uh, you know, surprisingly came out and they never thought there was somebody in their family, and that's how mm-hmm. part of it that we build our alliances is that a, a, a certain percentage. How are we getting other people to join the fold for two colors um. or like organizations? 
Well, I think that, that most of the time, most of the people who, who volunteer with True Colors have some sort of a, a vested interest in the work that we're doing. They may be themselves LGBT. They mm-hmm. may be the parent or sibling or family member of somebody who's LGBT. Or they might just be um, someone who's progressive, who believes in intersectionality and understands that, that all of these different components of a human identity that m- matter and that we've got to um, sort of work for freedom in all these different arenas. And so we have lots of allies who are part of the program, not because they, they – they themselves are or that they knew somebody who was, but just because they believed that this was an issue that they wanted to um, be supportive around. And so um, I remember after Orlando, you know, the couple of years ago um, when the, the person went into the Pulse nightclub in, in Orlando and murdered um, um, 29 um, LGBT people that the first thing that happened was that there was an assumption that that gunman was Muslim and a terrorist. And the mm-hmm. first group that, that reached out to us for support was the Muslim community who said, this is a fight that we're in together. And, um, and both of our communities are being marginalized by this. And, um, and they, we did a, a joint rally um, at the Hartford Capitol, where you know d- hundreds of, of LGBT folks and hundreds of Muslim folks came out in support of each other's um, issues. I remember and, that. I that was yeah. very impressive. Right, and um, and so that you know that understanding that this concept of intersectionality and that that you know that all of us have a stake in everybody's. Um, oppression and freedom, you know, that, that mm-hmm. this is something we all need to be um, involved with. You know, I've been um, fairly involved in the Black Lives Matter movement um, in part because, number one, many of my kids are also, um, you know, black or brown, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so they are experiencing life in a world that's both racist and homophobic or, or sexist. And sexist, right. um, um, but also the recognition that the ways in which society marginalizes black and brown people impacts me as a white person. Uh, it limits my abilities as a white person to be able to, for example, learn from people who are people of color. You know that that um, that there's impact that the imp- racism disproportionately impacts obviously people of color but it also has very negative impacts on white people that you know you grow up with all these distorted views about what the world is and what the world is like you grow up with you know biases that limit your ability to to interact successfully with other humans you know that that um and and so that the black lives matter movement is a movement that, that impacts every human being, no matter wh- wh- who you are, right? And, right. Um, and so that, that piece, it feels really important 
to recognize that all those pieces are connected. Now, something you said earlier, Donna, you know, you also only have so much time in the day, you know, so you have to make choices about where you're going to put your, your, the, the majority of your efforts. But mm-hmm. if you don't have, you know, but you also, we also have to have an intersectional view to see where are the places that we can ally um, that in ways that strengthen the connection between um, between different communities. So I think that's an important piece as I, well. I definitely agree. And <clears throat> the more that we come together and help each other mutually, you know, that, so let that be my goal going forward, that if there's any way that I personally or our radio show or whatever can help because we do intersect in a lot of ways. And you <clears throat> have graciously brought up, you know, some of the crime elements and some of the issues that intersect with me as a homicide survivor, as a national crime victim advocate as well. And I, and I so appreciate right. that. And I it's and, and, yeah, and that. certainly, and certainly within the black lives matter movement that mm-hmm. has such a strong connection to the work yeah. that you do because so many of the folks who are, you know, murdered by the system, <laughs> you know, are <laughs> right. people of color, you know, that, that, right. um, that, it, it's, you know, we have to, you know, there's the people that, that are sometimes, you know, the only difference between criminals is that which side of the badge they're on, you know, that there are people who carry a gun um, and a badge who are as bad or worse than the people that, that they're supposed to be protecting us from. It can um, be that way, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and um and you know and i'm not i'm not casting um a, you know aspersions towards entire groups of people but as someone who does a lot of police training i will tell you that there are lots of people in the room who are amazing human beings who are there because they care and they want to make a difference in the world and there mm-hmm. are people in the room who are just plain out thugs um mm-hmm. That you know that that they you know have a gun and power and they use it in their interest, not the interest of of um, the people that they're Protection supposed to be and serving. Safety. Yeah, and you can separate those yeah. very easily, and it's too bad you know those quote bad apples. And so I don't know what we do about that. They get in, the other good people get in, and we somehow have to deal with that because there's all all you know all factions of people in every segment of society. Oh, and, sure. uh, yeah, but with with regard to um, are there that many um other nonprofit organizations across the country similar to True Colors that has done as much? I mean, your your conference is the premier conference nationally, and I have always proudly said that to people. And you have to come. You have to look into this. What what can you tell me about that? Well, I think that um that. True Colors is unique in that, you know, in some of the ways in which we have a public-private partnership with DCF and and, um, Mm -hmm. and the child welfare system. So that is one of the things that is unique about us. There's a a conference in California called Models of Pride that um, is a youth conference that started the same year as us, um, Mm -hmm. that they um, focus just on youth and they have a much smaller um, adult track, but we have a lot of uh, commonalities. I think um, the Gay and Lesbian Services Center in LA 
um, has done a lot of work in the child welfare arena. I think um, that the um, the Al Forney Center in um, in New York City and the Ruth um, Boyer Center in Chicago are doing amazing um, work around homeless LGBTQ youth. Um, so I think that there's, there are a lot of organizations that are doing lots of different um, component parts. Um, I think that, that, that we in some ways have a broader mission, but a, but, a very, but a more focused mission because in some ways our mission is to get existing organizations to effectively meet the needs of their constituents who are LGBTQ. Right, that mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. never really so much wanted to create separate services um, as much as we've wanted to say, look, if you're a teacher, some of the people in your room are LGBT, and you need to make sure that they have an equally safe and equitable learning environment. Right? If you're right. if you're a social worker, some of your clients are LGBT. So how are you making sure that you are culturally competent? To, to meet their needs effectively. If you're a healthcare provider, the same thing. You know that that um, and so our training. We train about six thousand people a year, and um, and that training is really designed to say, really, this is your responsibility. You know, you're the ones who need to be doing this because it's your job. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And. Um, and, How do they get um, connected so, with that, Robin? If someone's um, listening now, do you have to go through your school system or your practice? No, um, they can, they can um, you know, contact us through our website. Um, mm-hmm. Our website's having some difficulties right at the moment, but um, um, that anyway, but it's ourtruecolors.org, and that there's right. a training um, piece there. They can always give us a call. And we um, go out to do training you know, all over the state and all over the country. Um, we're putting together one of our goals for this year is to put together an online training program so that people who, you know, sort of can't get to the conference or can't get to where we are or um, have the ability to do some more of some of the training online. Um, sure. And so, you know, that's something that we're very actively pursuing this year. And, um, and we think that that'll help us reach more people more effectively, because and, and you know some of the, the the foundational trainings you can really do that online, and then you use the in-person trainings for more in-depth cultural competency, um, and that you know without doing any marketing whatsoever of our training, we're we're almost busier than we can handle, <laughs> so we need to find different ways to get the word out. Um, you know, in addition to face-to-face um, training, you know, in people on site with people. Of that nature. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. People yeah. can't afford to travel anymore. Like we say, our state is in dire financial straits. Um, I don't know, and to, you have to be very creative as a as an as a nonprofit to continually mm-hmm. be like thinking out of the box and doing things. And Delilah, aren't you just Marvel at the fact that they could do this conference with 3,800. I mean, with being involved with the Q Center and, and, and what you've done there, I mean, how do you keep a conference going and continually growing for 25 years? I just marvel at that. 
Oh, absolutely. And I, my hat goes off to you to handle that <laughs> large of a crowd peacefully. <laughs> and that definitely, that definitely is a challenge. But that's it where, is. you know, literally hundreds of volunteers come together. The conference would not be affordable for people if when we haven't raised the rates, I think in, you know, 15 years or something, um, that the, the conference wouldn't be affordable if it wasn't for the literally hundreds of volunteers who come out to, you know, do all of the component parts that are part of, you know, making the space safe and getting people where they need to go and, you know, and, and all of the, I think there were 340 presenters this year. And, um, and, you know, so those are all people that are largely donating their services. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, that's one of the ways that we keep it affordable. And even with the rates that we have, more than half the kids came on scholarship. Um, that, you know, our, one of our core values is inclusive inclusion. And so, you know, we don't want resources to keep people from coming. And so we, TD Bank um, actually is one of our biggest sponsors, and they created um, a sponsorship program called um, the TD Bank uh, Forever Pride Scholarship. And so we gave away, um, I think, something like $14,000 in scholarships um, wow. for people um, to come this year, and 10 of that came from um, from TD Bank. So if it wasn't for them, you know, it would be much harder for us to keep the um, the cost down. And the sponsors, we have a number of sponsors. So, you know, TD Bank was a sponsor. Um, Planned Parenthood is a sponsor. Um, you know, that that the Department of Children and Families pays the registration of their social workers and youth who want to come. If we didn't have those kinds of things, we wouldn't be able to keep the the, the cost low and make it as accessible um, to people. Those but are pretty, great things. Yes. Yeah. I mean, to have the corporate sponsorship to be able and continuing and all of those volunteers, it's 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 things that we we strive for too because we want to grow as well. Our um, you know uh, our missing persons conference. So we're we're having right. similar conversations in the future, and I just say, wow, that's tremendous, and we want to be able to grow in those kinds of ways as well. So right. my, my hat is off to you for those those kinds of things. What do you uh, just to give you a little time check? We've got about nine minutes, I believe. Okay. Robin is vastly you know going by. Um, what do you? What do you think, how do you see your role um, changing in the future, both as executive director and what what would be, uh, what do you want to see for the future? What's your wish list? Or, you know, we, we, right. we all are getting older and tired. Right, right. <laughs> what, what, would you, what would you like to do? <laughs> um, I, I think that, that um, when, I, when I'm, you know, trying to put into place for True Colors is, its ability to survive me, you know, because yeah. having it, there, it's always it's always a little bit tricky when the founding ED moves on. Um, but we just hired um, a deputy director who's fabulous. Um, her name is Erin Latham, 
and mm-hmm. she's really helping to put together all of the the structures, you know, sort of the stra- staff structures so that nothing is dependent on that particular person who's doing right. the job, but that, and so we're doing a lot of that, you know, we're doing a lot of, um, board development. Um, We're going to be starting a strategic planning process in the next month or so um, to figure out, so what's our next 25 years going to look like? Um, And I'd like to see us really build our online presence. Um, I'd like to see, um, um, you know, continue to build the youth leadership components of what we do because that, you know, the kids that have gone through our leadership program, um, you know, are already out in the world doing like amazing things, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and that um, that's an exciting, that's exciting to watch them grow and develop. And, and um, so I, I like, you know, want to see that continue. I think for me, as I look what's possible for me next, um, I think training has always been my love. You know, it, my heart has always been in in training and teaching. And so, you know, doing more um, consulting and, um, and possibly, you know, creating, out, you know, additional modules for, you know, other um, training organizations is some of what, you know, I'm thinking about. Um, I've been talking with some folks about, the possibility of putting together a national training academy. I think as I as I look at that, I think, yeah, you know what? I'm too old for that. <laughs> you know, that <laughs> we have to be realistic, much. right? <laughs> right. That that's a little bit more. You know, like that's building a whole other thing, and I don't think I want to do that. Um, I think, you know, I want to to do more that that. Um, that I'd like to teach more courses. I love, love, love teaching human sexuality. And Mm -hmm. if I had um, more free time to develop more um, courses and to develop more curriculum, I'd love to do that. Um, That, you know, this financially, this has been a tough um, time for us that, you know, the the state and um, federal monies well, we didn't really get federal monies, we got state monies, have definitely, um, you know, been reduced over the last couple of years. And um, and um, and a lot of foundations, you know, we're 25 years old, so every foundation that's in Connecticut or the greater area, we've tapped them multiple times, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, so um, you know, we're going to be focused on building our, our individual donor um, relationships and some of our donors literally like have been supporting True Colors for 25 years. You know that the yeah. level of loyalty among our donors is just unbelievable, and um, and so we're going to well, be. That's good, but we uh, need to make new friends, right? New right, friends. exactly. New and friends. one of the things we're going to be launching, we're going to be launching um, um, in a couple of weeks. Is it's mm-hmm. called 25 for 25, um, and we're and our goal is to get. Um, 2,500 people, new people, to donate $25 um, to True Colors for in se- both to celebrate our 25-year our anniversary, but also to launch us into the next 25 years. And, oh, and so, okay. um, yeah, and we're launching that at, uh, oh, great, cool. Um, we're launching that on um, April 19th with uh, National Give Out Day. Um, 
So do you know National Get Out Day? No, I don't. I'm it's, sorry. I'm embarrassed to say I don't. What is that? Well, it's a national um, um, program um, that is that focuses on getting um, queer and ally money to queer mm-hmm. and ally groups, right? Mm-hmm. So there's you know the, there's give there's a um, um, you know, global giving, and there's a bunch of different online programs that happen on particular days over the course of the year. But mm-hmm. Give Out Day on April 19th is very specific to LGBT organizations, and there's um, organizations all over the country um, that are part of that. If you look up um, Give Out 2018, mm-hmm. um, you'll see the organizations that are in there, and that um, it's a 24-hour period um, you know, from midnight on the, the the April 19th through midnight the following day. And the goal is to raise, you know, as much money as possible for LGBT organizations all over the country. So um, kind of like a GoFundMe so, for yeah, exactly. LGBT? Yeah, exactly. Right? But, uh, yep, at a, at, a, at a bigger level. Um, uh-huh. But um, oh, And great. so we're launching our 25 for 25 on that, um, on that on day. On the 19th? Okay, I'm going to put that right. down to make sure go in and donate and all of that. Um, what Do you want to mention a little bit about this pretty classy event you have coming up April 20th? All right, and that's on the 20th. Yeah, on the 20th, on the- <laughs> we have Chocolate and Cheesecake for a Cause. I think it's Ooh. our 14th annual. Yeah. Uh, it's... Um, um, there's hot and heavy hors d'oeuvres, all the food you can eat, plus gourmet chocolate and cheesecake, an open bar, uh, a DJ, a silent auction. Um, the the tables are sold out, but we still have a few um, individual um, seats left. So if people are interested, they can give us a call in our office. Um, and we're also, if you you know, if you know people that are that have a product or a service, they want to market to a progressive LGBT and ally. Uh, community, um, mm-hmm. we're still soliciting some stuff for the silent auction. Um, for that, uh, that would be great. G- give us the give us the phone number if people want to call. Sure. About that so or? people can give us a call at eight six zero, yeah, two three two, zero zero five zero, or they can get us online at our o u r truecolors dot o r g. Mm-hmm. And how much is the event if they for the individual seats? It's um, individual tickets are a hundred dollars, um, mm-hmm. but again, it also includes an open bar. <laughs> and, um, and if you're a member of a table, it's eighty-five dollars. Huh? Okay, great. Well, hopefully, there are several people that I know of in this area that I included our post to, so hopefully they are listening in Connecticut, Massachusetts, beyond. So I'm hoping that the the loss will take advantage of that. Um, what 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 would be your um, parting message to us in about the last minute and a half that you would really like okay. to get across, whether it be promotional or otherwise? Um, and I okay, here's what I got, <laughs> and okay. this is not specific to True Colors. This is just in okay. general in the world that biases are passed down from generation to generation, um, and so. What I invite people to do, and this is what I think will make a huge difference um, all across the, the, the nation, is that when you hear mean, intervene. Um, and so that does. So if you're sitting at the, the the Thanksgiving table, and you know your weird uncle Al says something <laughs> racist, 
you know, intervene, say, that's not okay with me. Um, If you're a teacher and you hear somebody say something mean to another, to a kid, say, that's not okay. Um, That was unkind, right? That just to get in the habit of when we hear mean, to say something, when you hear mean, intervene every single time and everywhere because it then creates an environment where people understand that they can't, you know, you might want to, you can think that stuff, but you can't say it around me. And you don't know how many people you have um, empowered and protected by simply intervening because the problem is if we hear something and we don't say something, we have said something. We said that what just happened was okay with us. And so every time we say, no, that wasn't okay, even in a really gentle way, we make a profound difference. Absolutely, and that's a very, very powerful message, and it's very easy, and it transcends all kinds of people and groups and whatnot. So, you know, thank you for that, and I'm going to remember that. I think I'll post that in a number of ways. Um, it's, it, it's been a pleasure. It's been very enlightening, and let's, let's keep, in, keep in closer touch and see if we can make connections and, and continue to try to help each other mutually. And thank Great. you, thank you so much for thank all you so much. Robin. I, oh, I really, thank you, really appreciate it. Um, it's Thanks, been a wonderful Thanks, show. Delilah. Delilah? Thank you, Robin. Thank you for coming and joining us again and updating us. It, uh, your message is very important for the world right now. Thank you. It is. It, it very much is. So we'll be sure to uh, promote this show, and hopefully uh, people will get in touch with you and, and participate. So thank you so much, um, everyone. Stay tuned for the next edition of Shattered Lights Radio on Inside Lens Network next Saturday. Thanks so much, Robin. Thanks to Iowa. Thank you. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.